Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 228, Tyron Woodley versus Darren Till. And Shaq, it's going down this weekend, UFC 228. Two titles on the line, Darren the Gorilla Till is taking on the champ, Tyron T. Wood Woodley. Yeah, man, T. Wood, I mean, say what you want. The guy has uh, defended his title on multiple occasions. He's a great champion. And this guy, Till, I mean, he's undefeated. It's hard to be undefeated at this stage in your career. And, I mean, uh, he's got a lot of hype behind him. He's got a country behind him. And, I mean, the skills back it up. I mean, to do what he's done uh, in this amount of time span is remarkable. So it's going to be a great fight. And the undercard's uh, no slouch as well. Man, it's such an interesting matchup in this main event because obviously we got the champ, Tyron Woodley, has defended the belt three times. He's actually over 10 years older than the challenger, Darren Till. And with Till, one doesn't simply win a decision against Wonderboy Thompson. That's exactly what he did his last fight. So now I'm very intrigued to see what happens when the number one contender takes on the reigning defending champion. This is a big uh, it's a big fight, man, because this could change the landscape at welterweight. I mean, we do have some young guys coming in. You know, Till kind of represents the new group coming in, the Colbys, the Usmans, the Ponses of that nature. And then T-Wood's still, you know, the remainder of that old era from the Robbies, the Condits, the Koshcheks, the Ellenbergers, you know. So it's uh, it could be a passing of the guard. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to find out what happens. I mean, according to Tyron Woodley, he said uh, his toughest opponents are behind them. So I'm very curious to see if that's truly the case. And also, I mean, the rest of the card, it's absolutely stacked. But more importantly than that, we got a big announcement to make because tomorrow is Thursday. It's the first game of the NFL season. And now at BestFightPicks.com, we're exclusively offering kyle marley's nfl selections for the entire season so now you get to tell one of the best handicappers in the entire industry the guy that DraftKings fly out on the regular to all their events the guy who's uh making uh multiple fives on the reg and uh now uh, his nfl selections are available exclusively at bestfivepicks.com shack yeah we know uh, everyone loves a good good uh nfl action and i mean uh, we got the perfect guy to get that job done for you so you know it's uh time to sign up and so uh Everyone enjoys a good uh, fashion knock on the gridiron on a Thursday and a Sunday night, so uh, let's get it going. Thursday, Sunday, Monday, plus Saturday for UFC. All I know is this weekend is going to be a big one, but let's get right down to business, Shaq, because in the welterweight division, kicking things off, we got Jeff Neely's minus 175. The comeback on Frank Camacho is plus 155. So on paper, Frank Camacho is three for three with the fight of the night bonuses, looking to make it four for four. But the reality here is that in that Damian Brown fight, he actually did miss weight. So he wasn't able to get the bonus. And it's interesting because I've seen a lot of these fights where it's fight of the night, but one guy misses weight. So the other guy gets to take home 100K. You know, they did my boy Damian Brown dirty. They didn't give him the 100K. They only gave him 50. But that being said, Shaq, I got to know who you got between Jeff Neal and Frank Camacho. Man, it's a great matchup to open the card. I mean, because the way I see it, I see uh, two guys that like to slug. And and uh, to open up the card, that's going to be uh, pretty legit. So, you know, I think Neil's a legit prospect. He's uh, out of Texas, out of that uh, up-and-coming gym, Fortis MMA. He's a big power in his hand, southpaw. He's even uh, showed in his last fight he's got some ground game as well. And, I mean, you know, lately, I mean, this guy touches people and they just fall, Dan. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting. You know, he's got a loss to Kevin Holland, who he uh, saw fight Tiago Mejeda back on the local scene. And, you know, that was up a weight class. And, I mean, Neil was winning that fight, but, you know, he did end up gassing out. But we know Kevin Holland's a 6'3", 6'4", athletic specimen. That uh, And that's not what Frank Camacho is. But this guy, uh, Jeff Neal, I mean, his wrestling's good. His, his hands are good. I mean... The guy likes to get right down to business, man. But, you know, most of his fights that we have seen are fairly quick. 
you know, Camacho, I definitely think is a perfect step up in competition. You know, I think Camacho's more of the, uh, the exciting fighter in terms of, as we said, you know, he, he's gotten a bonus on all of his fights or should have gotten a bonus on all of his fights. And I mean, uh, but will that translate to wins? You know, it really, uh, in my opinion, not so much. I think he is going to, you know, translate to be a 500 fighter or one below, which is what he is right now. But, I mean, the guy on the given day, I mean, he can hang in there with the Lees and the Drew Dobers. And those guys are, you know, the upper echelon in this division. So this is a step up in competition for Neil. But, I mean, uh, Camacho, I mean, he's solid. He's got big power in his hands. He's got those nice trip takedowns. He hits that trip on every, on everyone. But seems like this guy could be in better shape, man. He always hits a wall somewhere in that second round, that fatigue state where he uh, – you know, just plots his feet and just starts, you know, squaring his stance and throwing uh, and throwing bombs. And it's easily, uh, as we saw, you know, after Lee weathered that storm, he was able to just pick him apart. You know, Damien was a little undersized. As we said, Camacho did miss weight by five pounds. And, you know, his last fight, you know, he won that first round with the takedowns and he kind of dropped over at the end. So we know he's got the power. And then second round, it was just kind of ugly, man. He started taking a lot of damage. I mean, he's got a good chin, but... But this guy, Jeff Neal, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that. But, you know, granted, we really haven't seen Neal in, you know, a a back-and-forth fight like that, at least at this level of the game. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, I think uh, – I'm going to take Jeff Neal in this fight just because I think even if they do meet head-on, I think he's faster. I think he's got more power in his hands. But, you know, I do have my – Worry, my worry is that uh, if Frank Camacho does suck him into a brawl, will he be able to, uh, w- you know, withstand it? Because, you know, the one loss he did have, it was uh, getting pretty hairy and, uh, you know, he got finished. So, But I think Neil's uh, the more well-rounded fighter. Camacho's the more experienced fighter. But, you know, Camacho seems like he's his own worst enemy, man, you know, from things I hear. So, you know, uh, I'm going to take Jeff Neal probably by... I'm going to say, I think it's actually going to be a really good fight. I'm going to say decision, back and forth fight. But I think Jeff Neal's cardio will uh, prevail him through. And uh, Camacho will hit that wall again. Yeah, look, I think this is going to be one of the most exciting fights of the night for sure. And what I really like about it is that with a guy like Jeff Neal, firstly, he's a super dangerous guy. He's training out of that up-and-coming gym, Fortis MMA. You got guys like Charles Bird there. You got guys like Abdul Razak Al-Hassan there, Carlos Diego Ferreira. So you know he's getting in that good work. Every single day. And with Frank Camacho, I mean, I've been hearing stories about this guy in the gym for a long time. I hear he's the kind of guy that knocks people the fuck out in the gym. Not to mention he does have that judo background. But something kind of happens when he enters uh, the cage. And I don't know what it is. And, you know, I'm talking about a 30-plus fight vet. So, you know, the guy's won most of his fights. But when he does lose fights... It's like you mentioned, he hits that cardio wall. And, I mean, I hear he's the kind of guy who, uh, you know, he doesn't take his diet too seriously. You know, he's having fun out there. But he still goes out there and throws concussive blows. He's still a super experienced guy. And he's still going to give Jeff Neal a serious fight. But that being said, I think Jeff Neal... When these guys get hit by Jeff Neal, they make a look on their faces like, oh, fuck, I didn't know he could hit like that. And I think Frank Camacho is naturally a lightweight anyways. I think that this is the kind of fight where, not to mention, this is the first time Jeff Neal's actually fought a shorter opponent with a shorter reach. Not that the shorter guy can't win because, I mean, you saw last week's main event between Gaethje and Vic. The shorter guy did win in devastating fashion. So not saying the shorter guy can't win at all. But in this specific spot, when a guy like Jeff Neal's so used to fighting these big guys, he's been in there with Kevin Holland, who's a six foot three middleweight. I think this is gonna kind of be like a pleasant uh I don't want to say pleasant surprise because he's been 
training for him, but it's going to be a nice experience for him to fight a former 55er for once. Now, you don't got to fight these guys who are on the border of going to 85. So I see uh, Jeff Neal pumping that jab. I see them throwing some big bombs. And when Frank Camacho hits that fatigue state, I think he's going to start lifting his chin up in the air. And then he's going to get hit with some big shots. And I either see this being a first-round finish or a three-round war. But I think it's going to be a finish. So I'm going to go with Jeff Neal here. Now, next up, we got Irene Aldana. She's minus 125. The comeback on Lucy Pudilova is plus 105. Now, Shaq, it's a pick em. People think this is going to be a very competitive three-round fight. Which way are you leaning? Yeah, Lucy and Irene, it's going to be a great st- a great fight. I mean, we got, uh, you know, Lucy's got that European-style movement, you know, kind of similar to my boy uh, Jack the Joker down there in Sweden. You know, the lateral movement, the stiff jab, and the, you know, uh, step off to the left, step off to the right. And she's fighting uh, Irina, who's got that, you know, flat-footed Mexican boxing style. With the But with that flat-footed style, they definitely have more uh, sting in their shots. And, you know, uh, Irina and, you know, her teammate Grasso, I mean, they had a lot of hype coming into the UFC, but they definitely haven't lived up to that hype, you know, uh, that's why I think they build them up to be, you know, people that they really weren't. But I still think Arena is a solid fighter. I do think she's making, you know, small improvements fight to fight. You know, her debut against Leslie Smith. I mean, she was fighting, uh, you know, I know we like to give Leslie a hard time. But, you know, Leslie throws six and seven punch combinations and she's super experienced. And, you know, Arena, I mean, she she got her ass beat in that fight. But, you know, she hung in there, came back to win the second round. But, you know, uh, that pace of Leslie was too much. And then, you know, her second fight with uh, Chukagi and my girl Chuk. I mean, Dan, what happens when you go to the scorecards with Chuk? I mean, you get shoot. You get shoot. So, you know, uh, you know, it, the fight was close. It could have went either way. And like we said, she got shoot. So, you know, her third fight against Toledo, who, in my opinion, is what we like to refer to as a jobber. I mean, you know, she did her job. You know, she cracked Toledo, you know, looked real good. But she did get tied up a little bit. She did get taken down of, uh, in some spots. But Toledo is a black belt. Now, Lucy, on the other hand, like we said, that lateral movement, um, you know, her debut against Lena Landsberg, I mean, <laughs> I mean, God, she just can't catch a break when she fights uh, Landsberg. Because, I mean, if you <laughs> saw Landsberg's face at the end of that fight, I mean, one girl had to go to the hospital. So, um, <clears throat> you know, Lucy's got that stiff jab. You know, she does have a little bit of what we like to call that Euro chin. And if you don't know what that Euro chin is, uh, I mean, just look at all the girls from Europe. You know, they, <laughs> they're kind of chinny. So, you know, uh, but I mean... Not that that matters. Well, it might matter in this fight, but, you know, Lucy kind of did struggle in her second fight when she fought a good boxer like Jeon Kim. You know, Jeon Kim uh, kind of touched her up in that second round, but I like that adjustment she made. She went to the tie-up. She went to the clinch, which lets me know, you know, Lucy can, you know, come through adversity. She can make adjustments in the middle of the fight and, you know, scrape fights out. You know, I, I think uh, as far as they match up, you know, I kind of... I think Irene does have, you know, a slight edge in the hand department, but I feel like Irene loses focus from time to time, man. I feel like, uh, you know, not saying that she's not tough, but I just feel like, you know, sometimes she uh, necessarily can't come back from adversity, you know. Um, it's a little interesting, you know. I feel like this fight's going to play out real close. I feel like it's going to come down to the wire. I feel like Lucy has a slight edge on the mat and the, the clinch. And uh, I feel like she can possibly, you know, scrape it out. But I definitely see this fight being a type of split decision type of fight where, you know, one side's going to be really upset. But I kind of favor Lucy Putilova in this one. You know, it's unfortunate she couldn't find my girl Aspen because we know uh, those girls have been talking mad shit back and forth. But, uh, you know, this fight's fit real 50-50 in my opinion. You know, I could definitely see Irene landing the harder shots. But, you know, uh, if Lucy uses that clinch... 
I think uh, she could kind of kill clock, you know, kill time and just scrape out a decision. So I'm going to take Lucy. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting and competitive matchup. I think the thing with Lucy Putalova that I really like, and I even mentioned this on the last breakdown of one of her fights, is that she kind of reminds me of a young uh, Joanna Janjacek. And I actually heard some people use that reference now on this uh, on this week's breakdown, which is kind of interesting. You'll go back and listen to my breakdown of Lucy's last fight if you want to know who made that comparison first. But, look, I like the fact you mentioned the lateral movement. Obviously, that's on point. But she pops that jab. And, you know, if we're going to compare her to Joanna, we got to mention that, you know, yeah, she does have that volume striking. But she's also a bit of a slow starter just like Joanna. So the first round or so, she's definitely going to eat some shots because we know Irena Aldana comes out there with that boxing style. Kind of more of a volume style, less power. And I also think that Irena Aldana might be the bigger fighter in there. I think she's going to have a, a bit of a size advantage. But that being said, man, Lucy Putalova is one of these chicks that she's really taking the effort to to improve all areas of her game. Not just in, in the fighting realm, but also uh, in, the, in the English realm. She's trying her hardest to learn English. She's being marketable on social media. So she knows exactly what she's doing here. And I know that to some people that might not have anything to do with the fight. But to me it does because it shows the incentive that she wants to get better in all areas. And then you see her last fight against a, you know, a quote-unquote submission specialist. I mean, hey, that girl tapped out Ashley Evan Smith in the first round, right? So you see her against a submission specialist. She went into the girl's guard and she survived all the attempts. So... That to me shows me that Lucy Putalova is well-rounded. She can overcome adversity. She's tough as hell. And I guarantee you she's knocked dudes out in the in the gym before in sparring. So while I do think that Irena is the bigger fighter and might have slightly more volume on the feet, I think that the toughness goes to Lucy Putalova. And I'll also favor her to get the victory here. Now next up in the flyweight division... We got Jared Brooks. He's minus 335. The comeback on Roberto Sanchez is plus 275. Now, Shaq, this is such a different matchup than Roberto Sanchez versus Ryan Benoit. It's a night and day matchup. And, I mean, Jared Brooks, he's the kind of guy that, I mean, it's interesting. He's so dominant in all of his UFC fights. He's 1-2 and two in the UFC. He's the best sub-500 fighter I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he took down Davison Figueredo like eight times. He was dominating Shorty Torres until he knocked himself out. So what I got to know here, man, is is he going to dominate this fight and find a way to lose or is he going to not lose his mind and actually go out here and get his arm raised? Yeah, man, like you said, I mean, Jared Brooks, in my opinion, you know, I feel like he's got all this, all the skills to be a player in this division. I mean, we know his wrestling credentials, you know, a world-class wrestler. I mean, like you said, he dumped Davison on his head about eight times. But, you know, it was, uh, it was that land prey strategy, and you know where they were. They were in uh, weasel country down there, you know. They were in uh, in Bellums. So, you know, uh, you know, Davison already had that decision won before they even stepped in the cage. My boy Jeremy uh, was judging that fight. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's uh, it's really interesting. But, yeah, I think this fight is all his, man. You know, I think Roberto's a specialist. You know, he's definitely a, a, a Jacqueline black belt. He's uh, serious on that map. But I f- definitely feel like his previous matchup was a lot better for him against Benoit. And if, I, th- I thought he was actually going to submit Benoit. So, you know, um, as far as this fight goes, I mean – the reason why Brooks is one and two, man, it's I'm not going to say I don't like his personality because I think he's a great guy. But I mean, this guy is a straw weight. You know, he might have a little bit of what we like to call little man syndrome, man. Uh, you know, the, the slamming, 
the slamming's cool and all, but like, can't we just get regular takedowns? Do you just have to slam them? I mean, like, you, I guess he just has to make a point and, you know, pick guys up in the air and run into the middle of the cage like Matt Hughes. So, you know, but I do think this is going to be an easy contest for him. I you know Roberto, he's a jujitsu guy. You know, if they can't get their jujitsu game going, they generally look for a way out. So, you know, as we saw when he fought Bopo Joe, the second they got back up, I mean, what happened then? The first punch floored him and he uh, got choked out. So, you know, uh, I got Jared Brooks in this all day, barring he doesn't make any severe mental mistakes. Like I said, the guy, I mean, just look at his tweets. The guy's uh, he's pretty interesting. So, But I do think this is going to be an easy contest for him, and hopefully he gets back on track because I really think the guy has all the skills to be a player at 125. And I agree with you, man. I mean, this kid, Jared Brooks, he's super talented. He's well-rounded. He's kind of undersized for the weight class, but his wrestling is so damn good that it doesn't matter. And the reason I say that is you look at his fight with Davison Figueredo. Now, we talked about it on the last episode of the podcast because Davison did have a fight. You and I both feel like Davison won that fight. I know why people think it was controversial, but at the end of the day, I favor uh, beating someone's ass more than humping someone's leg. So, therefore, I thought Davison won the fight. But if you look at the techniques he used to pick up and slam a guy like Davis and Figueroa. I mean, you can't deny the wrestling credentials of a guy like Jared Brooks. He's absolutely serious. You even see his clips uh, wrestling with Cody Stamen in that practice room. And uh, they get it in is all I got to say, my man. Now, as far as this matchup's concerned... I don't think Roberto uh, is a future title challenger like Davis and Figueredo. I don't think that Roberto has the heart of a guy like Davis and Figueredo. I think that Roberto is what we call a, a jiu-jitsu frontrunner. And I think that a good wrestler neutralizes a, a good jiu-jitsu guy nine out of ten times. And this is I, I like jiu-jitsu better. I like jiu-jitsu guys better than wrestlers. But I'm just being honest. A good wrestler will neutralize a good jiu-jitsu guy nine out of ten times. I mean, look at Frankie Edgar versus Charles Dubronx. Frankie Edgar went right in the guard of Charles Dubronx and... Uh, there wasn't even anything close to tapping that guy out. And not comparing Jared to, to Frankie or anything like that. But, I mean, even though Jared's got better wrestling credentials. But what I'm trying to say here is that if Jared goes into the guard of Roberto Sanchez, don't be surprised if he's completely fine. The area where I would kind of be worried if I was going to lay that chalk on Jared Brooks would be if, first of all, he's got that little man syndrome like a motherfucker. So he's not just going to slam you. He's going to pick you up over his head. He's going to run to the center of the octagon where that uh, Modelo's uh, sponsorship ad is. And then he's going to try to slam you like my boy Matt Hughes. And he's going to do it eight times in a row. You know, the first time, he's not going to just pass your guard full mount, try to either pound you out or try to create a scramble where he can take your back. He's going to try to get back up and slam you again. So as long as he can stop doing all that bullshit and just get right down to business, I think he smokes this guy. But the issue with fighting a guy like Roberto Sanchez is you have one mental lapse and you give up your back. You have one mental lapse and you give this guy your arm. And you mentioned Shaq. He's a Draculino black belt. Those guys are opportunists. Those guys have serious jujitsu. Those guys have real technique. You fuck up one time with one of those guys and they'll tap you out right away. So Jared Brooks needs to learn from his last two fights. Just stop being a cocky little man and just go out there and be disciplined for once and you'll win this fight. So I'm going to go with Jared Brooks, but uh, after he wins the first two rounds 10-8 and then gets choked out in the third, I'm not going to be surprised, Shaq, but I do have Jared Brooks to get this victory. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Alex White. He's minus 145. The comeback on Jim Miller is plus 125. Now, man, it's a, it's a very interesting matchup. I mean, Jim Miller, he's making his 30th UFC appearance. I mean, he's right up there with most fights in, in UFC ever. Definitely getting up there with, with the most wins, too. I mean, the guy's breaking tons of records, but now he's taking on 
a very tough kid, and Alex White, who's young, he's hungry, he's tall for the weight class. So I got to know, man, you think the experience of a guy like Jim Miller is going to prevail here, or you think the youth of Alex White will be the difference? Yeah, man, nothing but good things to say about Jim Miller. I mean, the guy's a legend. I mean, I mean, we grew up watching Jim Miller, so we all we all have a, always had that soft spot for Jim Miller. But like you did say, you know, thirty UFC fights means thirty UFC fight damage, and you know, thirty UFC fight damage is a lot. And I mean, uh, I mean, at his best, we already know what Jim was capable of. He was a top five guy in his prime. He was one one away from a title shot. I mean, I remember those days of him uh, fucking up my boy Prince of Persia Kamal Shalarus you know, the Charles Oliveira win. But, you know, I think uh, Father Time has caught up with him. You know, as far as Alex White goes, I know he's his record's ugly. Uh, you know, people say, you know, he doesn't have takedown defense, but, you know, he does have a 70% takedown defense. And, you know, I think it's getting better, you know, fight to fight. You know, uh, I think Jim's more of a in the middle of the, in the, in the middle of the cage type of wrestler. And Alex generally gets taken down on that fence against guys like, you know, Tony Martin and James Krause, who, you know, are six foot, and, you know, fighting at 170 these days, guys that have to kill themselves to make 155. And, you know, I really think Jim's going to be outsized here. You know, I you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he got a takedown early, but I think Jim Miller's in that state where he's just deteriorating fast. And, you know, after big actions, he's uh, completely gassed. And, you know, uh, you know that, that three-fight span he had against uh, Poye, Anthony Pettis, and Trinaldo, I mean, that was a lot of head trauma to the dome. I can't remember the exact amount of strikes he ate combined in those fights, but... It was uh, bad, and then, you know, Hooker finally was able to put him down. So, you know, I see something similar happen. You know, I see a, a slow, not a slow first round, but I do see Jim Miller gassing out somewhere in the middle of that first round, end of the f- middle of the first round to the end of the first round. And I just think Alex White's power is going to be too much. I mean, you saw how his hands are looking against James Krause. You saw how what he did uh, how when he retired Mitch Clark down there in Canada. So, you know, I, I'm really confident in Alex. I think he's going to get a second-round knockout. And, uh, you know, Jim Miller, props to him, man. The guy's uh, a legend. Yeah, I'll always be a Jim Miller fan and personally want to thank him for all the incredible fights he's given us over the years. What a warrior. And he's a cool-ass dude, too. I mean, you saw that fucking video he made. You know, he's singing that song about cocaine, talking about my boy Johnny Bones. It was hilarious. And uh, how could you not love Jim Miller? I mean, the dude, the dude's such a badass that he was fighting Frankie Edgar on the regional scene, Shaq. Okay, that, that's the kind of badass we're dealing with here. He already had his seven-fight UFC win streak. He's done it all, man. With Alex White, you know, his issue is that when you do get on top of this guy, oftentimes he can't get back up from bottom. But I will give him some credit here. You see the fight with James Krause. James Krause, he's about six foot two, And Alex stuffed most of the initial takedowns. Just when he finally got taken down, he wasn't able to, to get back up. And my thing with Jim Miller is I'm not sure if Jim Miller is going to be able to string, you know, seven or eight takedowns together and then finally get him down. That's what James Krause had to do. James Krause didn't just get him down on the first one. He had to string a bunch together. And I feel like with a guy like Jim Miller, you show him that resistance early on. And not that he'll start to break, but I just feel like physically he's going to start to shut down because, Shaq, one thing you always say about these aging vets that are one or two fights away from retirement, these things don't get better. These things get worse. So, yeah, Hey, Dustin Poirier couldn't knock him out. Anthony Pettis couldn't knock him out. Trinaldo couldn't knock him out. But things didn't get better. They got worse because then Dan Hooker comes out there and uh, knocks him into the fifth dimension. And he's coming back only a couple months removed from that. And, you know, maybe a couple years ago, he could have been able to tap out a guy like Alex White. But I think right now they're meeting at a point where Alex is, even though he's come, you know, he wins one, loses one, he's coming off a a pretty bad loss. But he was tagging James uh, Krause up on the feet. I'm not convinced... Jim Miller can take those shots. 
And not to mention, I think Alex White has way better cardio than Jim Miller at this stage in his career. Also, an interesting fact we mentioned in Jim Miller's last fight against Dan Hooker, Jim Miller's never beat a guy that's six feet tall or, or above. And uh, Alex White fits that category. I think he's going to knock out Jim Miller as well. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Craig White. He's minus 230. The comeback on Diego Sanchez is plus 190. Now, Shaq, I got to know, man. If there was ever a fight that Diego Sanchez could win, it's got to be this one. But my question here is, is he so done that he can't even beat this jobber Craig White who's been finished eight times, who's never even seen a third round in his life? Or is uh, is this going to be another sad moment where uh, you think Craig White's going to accidentally knock him the fuck out? Uh, yeah, I mean, Craig White is... I mean, Craig White is what we like to refer to as, you know, a jobber, you know, he's a grade A jobber in, in that too. So, you know, uh, I mean, Diego Sanchez, I know he's got more, def- I mean, if you watch Craig White's fights on the local scene, I mean, some of the shit he does is astonishing. I mean, you know, the flopping to his back, the, you know, eating a couple ground and pound shots and, you know, going down, um, I mean, but, you know, he does have physical tools. And this fight is at welterweight, not 55. So Craig White's 6'2", 170, probably cutting a lot of weight. Diego, I mean, he's been having these big weight fluctuations over the years, 45, 55, 70. Um, You know, I know he got that win over Marcin. I actually predicted him getting that win over Marcin. And, uh, you know, know, uh, that was... What 2016, and you know he's taking two canvas naps, and I mean the last one really let me let me know that you know the end is I mean the end the end's been there, but you know uh, you know he's shooting for single legs, and you know his face is you know hitting the floor after he's done uh, shooting for him. You know uh, I just don't I think the guy mentally wants to be there. I know I know he wants it in his heart, but you know I just don't know if physically uh, if this is what Diego should be doing. <laughs> You know, Craig White, I think Craig White sucks. I think he's a joke. But, you know, uh, it might be a case where, you know, his physical tools just accidentally knock Diego out. I mean, I feel like Diego's going to have to take a big step in to touch Craig White. You know, Diego's like, what, 5'6", five, 5'7", five, somewhere in that range? I mean, he's listed at 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but between you and me, he's 5'6", or 5'7". He's 5'7". But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a... Uh, I think he's going to have to take a big step in and touch Craig White. You know, I do agree if he was ever going to win a fight, it might be this one. But I just don't think physically he can, uh, you know, withstand what it takes uh, to be in that octagon for 15 minutes. But uh, I think the line's way off. You know, I don't think Craig White should ever be, you know, this high of a favorite in a fist fight in the UFC. But like I said, you know, he's way taller, way longer. You know, I have seen him in little spurts knock a few guys out here and there, you know. And, you know, some of the guys he lost to would probably be Diego as well. Not that that matters, but, you know, uh, I'll take Craig White by knockout somewhere first or second round. Man, the thing about this fight, you know, we talk about how Craig White is six foot two. I didn't know they stacked shit that high, Shaq. You know what I'm saying? Man, the guy is absolute garbage. And, you know, we talk about his game and when I talk about guys that are going to beat Diego Sanchez, you know, I'm looking at an ally, Kinta, who can knock him the fuck out. I'm looking at a Matt Brown who can knock him the fuck out. When you talk about a guy like Craig White, what's his best asset? His best asset is triangles off his back. So that actually kind of favors Diego Sanchez a little bit. If Diego can get on top of this guy, I do see him smashing Craig White. However, on the feet, not that Craig White's got some great stand-up because he absolutely doesn't, but... Diego Sanchez's chin is at that point where 
I mean, you could literally flick this guy. You could throw a paper ball at this guy and knock him the fuck out. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? This guy, Craig White, can close his eyes and throw that Lee left high kick and probably knock Diego out. He's, he's that diminished. So it's really sad to see. But when we talked about Jake Ellenberger last week and how he's completely done, we're not just talking physically. We're talking mentally, too. With Diego, it's only physically because I think mentally, he still wants to be there. He still wants to break these guys. He's still a tough guy. But you got to listen to your body sometimes. And I understand why Craig White's favorite. You know, a young six foot two guy over Diego is completely done. But you, what you got to understand about this young six foot two guy is he's been finished eight times. He's never even seen the third round in a professional fight. He's the kind of guy that flops to his back out of nowhere. And he does the dumbest shit you've ever seen in your life. So what I was thinking, man, was maybe Sean Shelby was thinking to himself, you know, Diego's this legend. He's been with us since tough one. He actually won the first ultimate fighter. He's fought BJ Penn for the belt. He's done all these things. He even fought fucking Nick Diaz back in the day. If we want to bring in one guy that's going to potentially lose to Diego Sanchez, we got to create the worst guy on the roster. I mean, he's got to have a shitty chin. He's got to have shitty takedown defense. He's got to not have experience going the full three-round distance. He's got to have bad cardio. And he's got to just suck. And I think all those things uh, fit the description of Craig White. I think he's absolute trash. But that being said, Diego might be done to the point where it doesn't matter, where he will lose to this scrub. And that will be super sad to see. But that being said... I think that Craig White actually feels the moment a little bit. I think he's probably a Diego fanboy. I think he finds a way to lose. I think he finds a way to flop to his back. And from there, I think Diego gets on top of him and pounds him out. So I'm actually going to go with Diego Sanchez to actually win a fight in 2018. And I hope he uh, I hope he retires after this, my man. But if he doesn't, uh, we will be looking to fade him soon. But not against this fucking scrub, Craig White. Craig White, I, I would max bet Mickey Gall over Craig White. You know what I'm saying? Craig White wouldn't even be NFC champion. He wouldn't even be NFC number one contender. Neither would Diego Sanchez, Shaq. But I'm just saying, Craig White is absolute trash. So I'm going to go with Diego. But uh, be very careful because Diego, obviously, is completely shot. At least he wants it, though. But he's done. It's sad to see. I hope it's it's action-packed, Shaq. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division... We got Jimmy Eltera Rivera. He's minus 155. The comeback on John Dodson is plus 135. Now, Shaq, you know, a little uh, little background info. These two have been wanting to fight each other for a long time. These two don't like each other at all. And these two both feel like they're going to knock their opponent out. So what I got to know here, man, is who do you give the edge to in this one? John John Dodson, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, I see a lot of people saying, uh, that he's on the decline, you know, and I, I agree with that. I do think he's on the decline a little bit, but for some whatever reason, I mean, he's a tough guy to fight. No one dominates John Dodson. I mean, no one's really outclassed him besides DJ in that rematch. And I mean, you know, uh, his two losses at Bantamweight are two, you know, the two hardest hitters in the division, in my opinion, Marlon Marais and uh, Hands of Stone Lineker. And, you know, those fights uh, were, you know, split decisions. You know, I definitely think he lost both of them. But, you know, I feel like that's the uh, game plan to beat Dotson. You know, you have to walk him down consistently. Your chin has to hold up because we know that uh, he likes to land these slick uh, counter shots. 
And, I mean, he drops guys when they least expect it. And Dotson's an interesting guy because, you know, I feel like he's one of those guys that only does what he needs to do to win. You know, when he fights Wineland, you know, he's got Wineland's distance on, on point. You know, he's got Pedro's distance on points. And, he, you know, he's going to, you know, just point fight because he knows those guys can't compete with him in the speed department. And he's just going to, you know, tip and run those guys. But, you know, I feel like he is uh, – he can open up a little bit. I mean, he generates a lot of power. And, you know, Jimmy, on the other hand – you know, Jimmy was on an incredible run. I mean, we used to bet Jimmy every fight. But, you know, although we were winning those bets, I mean, it'd be lying if we were saying there wasn't red flags in all those fights. You know, uh, the Pedro fight, you know, he wobbled about three, two or three times, you know, got hit by, behind some uh, behind the ear shots. You know, the Yuri fight, he got dropped. The uh, Faber fight was great. And then, you know, the Thomas fight was the real red flag where, you know, although he did uh, beat Thomas Almeida, you know, he was getting real tired. You know, he's real flat-footed, looking at low power shots. And, you know, it's going to be a really interesting matchup, man. I feel like it's going to come down to who wobbles less, who doesn't get dropped. You know, I feel like both guys are going to land flush shots. I, I actually do expect to see a better Dawson just because, like you said, I, I know he really doesn't like Jimmy Rivera. And, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to say Jimmy's time's up, but, I mean, you know, now that chin has been touched, and I do think J Dotson has the better chin. I also think Dotson has the better cardio between the two. You know, I definitely think Jimmy probably has more power in his hands. But like I said, you have to walk Dotson down. You have to put fear in him enough to not do enough, you know, make him not pull the trigger enough. Because most of the time he loses by these close, narrow, split decisions. So, you know, in fact, I'm actually going to favor John Dotson in this one. You know, I think uh, it's going to come down to the wire. It's going to be a close, split decision type of fight. But I think he's going to wobble less. But I wouldn't be shocked if he also didn't do enough. But I just I think Jimmy's more of a, you know, stand, stand your ground, you know, trade in the pocket type of guy. You know, uh, guys generally come to him. You know, Dotson doesn't really play that game. Dotson makes guys come to him. So, you know, I, I don't know if Jimmy's going to hold up. I do, definitely think he's going to get dropped at some point. And like I said, I think Dotson's got the better chin, but, you know, it's a 50-50 fight in my opinion. I think that it should be a pick -em, but I'm going to take John Dotson. Man, such a great fight. And I feel like Jimmy Rivera, you're right, he is trying to land the harder shots over the three-round period, and he might do that here. And I've been talking to some people that I respect about this matchup, and a lot of them are favoring Dotson because – you know, he's the more mobile guy. Jimmy's super flat-footed, and Jimmy's obviously a bit chinny. But the way I see this fight going down, man, I feel like John Dotson is going to run around the ring, do what he has to do, you know, uh, try to avoid the fight like he always does. And with Jimmy, I feel like Jimmy's not the kind of guy that rushes things. I feel like he's not an impatient guy. I just feel like when he's gotten in trouble, it's, be it's been because, I mean, that chin is, uh, you know, that chin ain't the best. But what I see happening here, man, is I see... I see Jimmy Rivera taking the center of that octagon. He's going to be a little bit flat-footed. I see him waiting for John Dodson to do his blitz because John Dodson's going to be circling around that ring, and then eventually he's going to have to step up. Eventually he's going to have to go to Jimmy Rivera, try to blitz him, and when he does that, I think there's going to be a left hook, right uppercut waiting for him, man, and I think that eventually those shots are going to add up. They're going to make John Dodson less confident to close that distance, and I feel like if Jimmy does have that kind of disciplined performance, he can come out here and uh, win that unanimous decision and remind everyone why people did call him a future title challenger, a future potential champion. I mean, the guy was on a 25 win streak before his last loss, so... Jimmy Rivera is a guy that wins a lot, and uh, John Dodson, he's a very, very tough guy. At one point, was considered to be the fastest guy in the division. 
he's still fast as fuck. He's still faster than most, but I definitely think he's slowed down a tad bit. And while his chin is better than Jimmy Rivera, I have noticed Dodson has gotten a little bit more rocked in fights than he might have in, in the past. But then again, when you're fighting guys like Marlon Moraes and Pedro Munoz, those guys hit like trucks. So I completely understand, you know, getting rocked by them. And we won't talk about how John Dodson tapped out against Marlon Moraes at the end of the third round uh, to that guillotine because many people would tap out to that Marlon Moraes guillotine. But between you and me, John Dodson got tapped out with that guillotine. It is what it is. Hey, so both guys got finished by Marlon Moraes. But that being said, I feel like John Dodson is going to have to commit here to that blitz. And when he does, I think he's going to get countered with the big left hook, with the big right uppercut, with the big 2-3-2, with the right body kick. I actually see Jimmy Rivera, despite probably being the slower guy, I see him landing the harder shots against Dodson and getting this unanimous decision victory. Now next up in the middleweight division, we got Charles Bird. He's minus 225. The comeback on Darren Stewart is plus 185. Now Shaq, you got one of the smallest middleweights in Charles Bird. He's a big favorite here. He's taking on Darren Stewart, who's one of the bigger middleweights. But as you know, uh, size doesn't always determine the winner. Matt Sarah did knock out GSP, so I got to know, man, who you favoring here? Yeah, you know, uh, Darren Stewart was on that bad skid before his last fight. I actually thought he made, you know, significant improvements against Eric Spicely in his last fight. You know, he showed some killer instinct, you know, the fights previous to that. I mean, he kind of hit that wall, man. You know, I know he was in there with guys like Mark, uh, like Julian Marquez and uh, Bojozo. Bojozo, even though, you know, Bojozo is a job. By the way, Bojozo is number one in the PFL heavyweight tournament right now. But, uh, Bojozo's a tough guy to fight, you know, he's, he doesn't really engage, uh, you know, he's a weasel, he's a, he's a, he's a product of that, uh, weasel country down there, but, you know, Charles Bird, like you said, he's a very undersized middleweight, you know, I kind of do question his level of opponents that he's been fighting, you know, on the contender series, I thought he fought three jobbers, um, or two jobbers, and then his last fight against that, you know, that guy from that, uh, what's that camp name again, that fraud camp? Who, who'd he beat again? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Are you talking about the camp where their coach is a best-selling author? <laughs> yeah, you know the businessman. Um, you know that. that you know, I, I, I definitely think uh, he hasn't really fought anybody. You know, to to anyone formidable today. You know, I definitely think uh, Stewart has a size advantage in this fight. And, you know, this could be a case of, you know, I've been seeing a lot lately, you know, these guys like, you know, uh, Will Brooks or Jessica I or, um, you know, I could probably think of some more. But, you know, you know, they're on a bad skid and, you know, they, you know, get one win and then they kind of ride with it. You know, they kind of put at least two to three wins together. So, you know, I'm actually take Stewart for the upset. I think he uh, I think he does have his confidence back. You know, I think uh, Bird's going to come out real strong. And don't get me wrong. Bird's a very well-rounded fighter. He's a. Uh, he likes to mix in takedowns, but, I, you know, I think if Stewart does have his confidence, I think Stewart can stuff those takedowns, and I think he can put fist to Bird's face. And, you know, like you said, I feel like Bird's more suitable at a uh, welterweight, but, you know, he's choosing to fight at 185. But uh, I, I think the line's a bit off, man, you know. I think Stewart has physical tools. He just, you know, would hit that wall, man. So, you know, I, I'm thinking he's got his confidence back. I think he believes in himself a little bit more. I think he trusts himself a little bit more, the people around him. So I'm going to take Stewart for an upset. I'm actually said by TKO in the second round. Wow. Shaq going with the upset here. Man, it's going to be interesting because, like you mentioned, Darren Stewart, he's actually a super talented guy, man. It's just that somewhere along the way, I don't know if it's self-sabotage, I don't know if it was a confidence thing, or simply he's fighting guys that hit like trucks like Julian Marquez, who, I mean, you saw that fight with Alessio DiCarico. Uh, Julian Marquez is, uh, is a powerhouse, man, so I, I can understand 
you know, getting finished by guys like that. But that being said, you can't just get finished every single UFC fight. You got to come in there and win and keep your job. And that's exactly what Darren Stewart did his last fight. Now, granted, he was still getting rocked by Eric Spicely. You know, his chin is in question. His cardio is in question. But one thing that's not in question, Shaq, his knockout power, his size for the weight class. I mean, the guy's a true middleweight, and he hits like a truck. He can knock anyone out. So Charles Bird's got to be super smart in here. And one thing I like about Charles Bird you mentioned, obviously, he's undersized for the weight class. He's definitely one of the smaller middleweights. But you know what? When the guy gets in bad situations, he scrambles out of them. And that's one difference between him and Darren Stewart. You know, usually with Darren Stewart, I feel like he's got to be controlling the entire fight to win. I feel like he's got to be the hammer. He doesn't do very good as the nail. Whereas Charles Bird, you can put the guy in uncomfortable situations uh, and he'll scramble out of them, get on top, and find a way to finish you. So I really respect that quality in Charles Bird. But that being said, man, I feel like Charles Bird's going to get Darren Stewart down maybe uh, towards the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. And from there, when Darren Stewart starts to huff and puff and he has to scramble his way back up, that's where Charles Bird can scramble, can transition, take the back, try to choke him out. And if he doesn't choke him out and Darren Stewart's able to survive, I feel like Darren Stewart's going to be huffing and puffing when it comes down to that third round. And then the size will actually be an advantage for Bird because he's going to be the smaller, faster guy uh, against a guy who's huffing and puffing. So I'm actually going to go with the favorite here, Charles Bird. But I will say this. Darren Stewart's definitely a talented guy. He's very underrated because he did have that three-fight losing streak. But when he puts his shit together, the guy's dangerous. He can knock anyone out. But that said, I think he takes a setback here. And uh, we'll see what he does in, in his next fight. Now this one. I'm very excited about this, Shaq, because we got... Aljamain, the funk master Sterling, he's minus 140. The comeback on Cody Stamen is plus 120. Now, I know in the past we called uh, Aljamain the fraud master. So what I got to know here, man, is was his performance against Brett Johns impressive enough for uh, us to remove that name? Or do you think uh, we just had the wrong horse in that one? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think he's a great fighter. You know, I think he's definitely a top 10 fighter. He's long. He's athletic. He's, you know, good on that mat. But, uh, you know, I think uh, Cody Stamen is as well. You know, I see a lot of people saying Cody Stamen lost his last fight to Caraway. You know, I disagree. I, I favor the four minutes of, uh, you know, point fighting over the, the guillotine attempt in which Cody would have got out of anyway. So, you know, uh, you know, it is what it is. It could have went either way. It went to Cody's way because, you know, Cody is a consistent winner. But as far as this fight goes, you know, uh, Aljo, you know, both guys have been talking a lot. You know, Aljo thinks he's going to get him down because, you know, Caraway got him down. But personally, I feel like Caraway's top two or three grapplers in that division. I know, I know Caraway doesn't look like the strongest guy. He looks like he's weak and scrawny but i mean uh not that it matters but let's not forget uh what caraway did to aljamain you know what i'm saying um i think caraway's tie-ups are stronger i think uh, his grappling overall grappling is a little bit better you know aljamain he likes to you know stay on the outside use his length use his kicks and you know cody stamen i mean the guy really doesn't have any major weaknesses in his game you know i think aljamain does have a major weakness in his game i think it's his boxing on the end tight you know i know uh, he uh box spread up a little bit but you know if you watch Brett's, Brett's prior fights I mean Brett hits a wall every fight where he likes to shell up and uh eat a lot of punches you know Cody Stamen doesn't have that in him now I know first L time could be coming around the corner for sure but I just think Cody Stamen's the better fighter and uh and I definitely think he can stuff the takedowns he set a record for most of takedowns in that caraway fight you know and they weren't half-hearted, in my opinion, at all. They were lightning-fast shots, and he stuffed them all, man. So, you know, I, I got Cody Stammen in this one. I think he is going to get on the inside. I think his boxing's 
light night and day compared to Aljamain's boxing. And you know, I feel like when Aljamain gets hit on that chin, I think uh, things change for him. I think he doesn't necessarily look for a way out, but I definitely think his confidence will diminish. You know, I feel like this is a guy where, you know, things have to be going perfect for him. You know, and I know he's come back from adversity in fights like Henan Burrell, but you know, Henan Burrell's uh a faded brazilian weasel i mean the guy has no cardio you know it's a great win of course to have that name on your resume but you know uh and <laughs> burrell is huffing and puffing cody stamen doesn't huff and puff i think cody stamen gets on the inside you know touches al jamaina puts the fear in him you know i definitely think he stuffs the takedowns you know uh al going to be real desperate real panicky starting to shoot from real far out kind of i kind of see it similar playing out to the sunset fight but i actually think uh cody stamen will be a little bit more willing to uh land a, inflict a little bit more damage and i think he's looking to make a statement so i'm actually take cody statement by second or third round knockout man it's such an interesting fight because when it was first announced i was actually leaning towards aljamain's way man i was i was saying that you know aljamain turned this corner and he's finally putting it together and i felt like cody might have needed to take that first l but then you sit back and you watch their last few fights and i gotta say what i gotta tell you what man i'm super impressed with this kid, Cody Stamen. You watch that Brian Caraway fight. Let's talk about that takedown defense. I mean, that was like some old-school BJ Penn shit. Caraway literally lifted Cody Stamen's leg above his head. Stamen was balancing on one leg, and he didn't get taken down. That, to me right there, is serious takedown defense. That's some uh, that's some Jose Aldo shit, my man. And uh, if Cody can carry that into this fight, it's going to aid him a long way. And also, not to mention, he's he trains with a guy like Jared Brooks on the mats every single day. So... You know that his uh, wrestling defense is on par. The thing with uh, the fraud master Sterling is I know he's gotten a little bit more comfortable his last fight against Brett Johns. And, you know, he was able to go out there and win that decision. And at the time, you know, we thought Johns was going to win. So the fact that Sterling won, you know, you might think to yourself, oh, Sterling got so much better, this and that. But the reality here is that uh, the pikey was a fraud all along, man. You know, uh, we didn't know Brett Johns was a fraud. You know what I'm saying, man? And much respect to Brett Johns. He got the bet safe sponsorship. He's got a country behind him. But... We know, uh, we know what that ceiling is, man. So, and Aljamaina exposed it. But as far as Cody Stamen's concerned, dude, the kid is smart as fuck. You know that fight with Brian Caraway live, it was intense as hell. But when you rewatch it, uh, Stamen definitely won that fight clearly. You know, the first round he was winning the entire first round until he gave up that takedown. But once he did give up that takedown, it's not like a. It's not like Caraway easily passed and tapped him out or anything. You know, the round ended. Then he go to the second. And Stamen stuffs every single takedown up, you know, from that point on, and obviously pieced them up on the feet. He's very patient, standing, and you know, people watch his fight with Duke and Wah and his fight with Terry on Ware and feel like he got off to a slow start. I just feel like the kid's smart, and he has a different game plan for every single fight against uh, against Terry on Ware. Man, he could slam him at will anytime he wanted to put him on his back. He put him on his back against the the fraud kid Duke and Wah. He had no problem out striking Duke and Wall. He had no problem taking Duke and Wall to the mat. And then against Caraway, the guy who is super tough to look good against Caraway. No one looks good against Caraway. And uh, Stamen went out there. How many st- takedowns did he stuff? Like 20 out of 21, something crazy like that. So this kid, uh, Cody Stamen, is someone to look out for. And I think that uh, Aljamain is going to get exposed again. Look, Aljamain looks amazing when he's fighting these guys that don't belong. But anytime he stepped up, you saw what happened. He gets exposed every single time he steps up. I think Cody's on that level of the guys that have exposed him in the past. Maybe not a Marlon Marais, but certainly on a Brian Caraway level. I mean, the kid beat Brian Caraway. Not that MMA math means shit because it doesn't, but I'm just saying 
Stamen is on that level. He's already had that that top 10 win, so it's not like this is his first time fighting a top 10 guy. I'm going to go with Cody Stamen here. I think he neutralizes the fraud master and potentially gets him out of there as well, but if not, we know he's an expert at winning decisions. So, you know, I, I'm going to go with the unanimous decision for Cody Stamen here. Now, last fight of the prelims, we got Tatiana Suarez. She's minus 535. The comeback on Carla Esparza is plus 420. Now, what I got to know, Shaq, you think the former champion Esparza is going to come through here as a dog? I mean, she's obviously more experienced, or do you think the size and physicality of Tatiana Suarez is going to be the determining factor? Yeah, man, this is a great matchup. You know, I, I definitely think the hype on Tati uh, is definitely warranted. I mean, she dominates everyone she fights, but, you know, uh, her fight with Viviani clear domination and i mean she submitted grasso in the first round now whether you think grasso is you know formidable or not you know it's uh definitely debatable but hey she submitted her in the first round so tatiana we know the deal that wrestling she's a world-class wrestler she uh she likes to take girls down and you know smash them and i mean that's her skill set on the feet you know she's getting a little better with her kicks but as far as the boxing combinations go i think she's uh lacking big time you know i just think no one she's fought has been able to get her in that realm and make her actually fight you know when i say tatiana's gone through zero adversity in a fight i mean zero you know i mean the biggest adversity she might have went through is on tough where she got cut in a fight but she still submitted that girl in the first round but you know now she's fighting esparza people can say whatever they want about esparza you know she's not has been you know on the way out or declining whatever it is but i actually think she's getting better you know i know she lost her last fight but tatiana like i said she hasn't been through any adversity in a fight before and fighting at carla esparza is going to be some adversity in a fight. So we're definitely going to see uh, how she reacts. I think this is her first real fight. You know, I think uh, all the other fights were snowflakes compared to Carla. I think Carla's hands have gotten dramatically better to, you know, when she was on tough and when she was the champ. I think uh, it's complete night and day with her hands. But, you know, her wrestling kind of has digressed a little bit. But, I mean, has it really digressed a little bit? You know, she's fighting big gorillas like Claudia Gadelia, you know, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champions. And although she's getting taken down, she's also getting back up and, you know, making girls work, you know, getting dropping girls. And those girls have to come back. Tatiana's never really been in spots like that. Claudia has. Claudia's been in there with Ioana twice. Andrade, uh, I mean... The list is on is on, you know, so I think it's a big experience gap. We're really going to see what Tatiana's made of, you know, as far as a pick. I mean, you know, I definitely wouldn't, I'm definitely wouldn't be a conf I mean, you know, if you think Tatiana is that girl, people have said she's a future world champion, but uh, I think she's going to, I think people who laid that money is going to be having a heart attack in this fight, Dan. I think uh, they're going to be really worried. I think Carla's going to really make this a fight. And we're, like I said, we're going to see what Tati's made of, man, because this is going to be a real fight. This ain't Viviani. This ain't uh, Grasso. This is a, a former champion, a girl that's been in there with, you know, just about everyone. So, you know, I, I'm actually take carla for the upset you know i know it's a big uh, a big line gap but you know i think uh not saying that tati's gonna fold but you know i just think there's value on carla you know i think it should be like minus two or something like that you know i don't think it should be as wide as it is we're gonna see uh what she's really made of i feel you man i mean that could definitely be a possibility tatiana's never fought anything like this she's definitely suspect on the feet she's just able to use her physicality against these girls pretty well man the thing is carla does have that wrestling background but man carla's so much smaller than her dude and not only that carla's striking has gotten better but 
I mean, I feel like her wrestling, uh, I mean, can we say it's kind of declined a little bit? I mean, she was the reason she lost to Claudia Gadelia wasn't because she was losing stand-up exchanges, Shaq. It was because she was getting taken down at the wrong times. You don't want to get taken down at the end of rounds, and that's what was happening to her. And it's like, are you, are you going to tag up uh, Tatiana too and also get taken down at the end of the round? So I hope she's been soaring up that, that wrestling defense, but it might not even be about wrestling defense. It might just be about the pure size because – I've never seen a bigger girl in that weight class than Tatiana, man. She's she's fucking massive. But first L time is, is a real thing. She might have to take that first L. I got a lot of respect for Tatiana because she's overcome some serious things outside the cage. And, you know, she, she's a serious competitor in life. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I agree with you. The line should be a little bit a little bit closer. But I'm going to go with Tatiana Suarez to grind out a somewhat closer fight than the, than the odds indicate, man. I think that she will get the takedowns at the end of the rounds, and ultimately that will be the deciding factor. Now, first fight of the pay-per-view. This is going to be a hell of a matchup, Shaq. Someone might take a canvas nap here. We got Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. He's minus 140. The comeback on Nico Price is plus 120. Now, Shaq, all of Abdul Razak Al-Hassan's wins are first-round knockouts. All of Nico Price's UFC wins our finishes. So I got to know, man, who's going to land the finishing blow here? Yeah, you know, we know the deal with Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. We're very familiar with him. Guy's a, a tank in that first round. A guy, it's like a Chuck. He's, you know, a scary guy. I mean, just look at those muscles. But, uh, you know, Nico Price, I mean, the guy gets counted out in pretty much every fight. And, I mean, he uh, defies the odds. The guy's a master of war. I mean, just look at him. He's a he's an elite scarecrow. You know, uh, you watch him on tape and you think, you know, this is going to be an easy fight. But, you know, when you get in there, he you know, he falls into that category. You know, you watch him on tape, you think he sucks. But when you get in there, uh, things are a little bit different. You know, he's got a way of uh, making things look a lot closer than what they really are in terms of the athleticism department. Because, I mean, everyone he's fought, you think they're – besides Sullivan, at least, you think uh, – they're a lot more athletic than him. They're better than him. And he ends up knocking them the fuck out. So it's going to be real interesting. Razak, I feel like he's a great fighter, but I feel like he's a one-dimensional fighter. It's either take your head off, and if he does that, you know, congrats. And if he doesn't, then he's most likely, you know, a little bit too predictable. You know, I definitely thought he looked a little bit better in his last fight. But for the most part, it's just simple bombs, you know, jab, overhand. But they're serious bombs. But I definitely think there's a time limit on uh, when he can – you know, be his most effectiveness. You know, I think after that first round, he definitely will slow down. You know, that first Abahamasi fight, which I did catch a max fight on, you know, it was ugly, man. I mean, it's pretty simple. He just wants to take your head off. There's really not too much facets to his game. And, you know, the second one, he was able to get Sabah out. But, you know, Sabah is what we like to refer to as a jobber. I mean, if you look at Nico Price's resume, not that it, not that it matters, but the guy's got wins over Morono, Juban, um, who else? Sullivan, Randy, uh, Randy Brown, definitely being a higher level of competition, and I and I kind of see something similar happen. You know, I feel like Razak's gonna come out that, you know, guns blazing. But I think uh, Nico's gonna be prepared for that. I think that style's gonna be pre- easy to prepare for. You know, I think Nico is well aware. Like this guy's gonna try to take my head off. I need to weather the storm. I can either you know wait till he overextends on that overhand right, drop down and uh, duck under and take him down, or 
don't sleep on Nico's power because the guy, uh, when he starts to turn up, I mean, he's scary. I mean, that finish to the Morono fight where he left Morono stiff, he left Juban stiff down there in Mexico, and now it's hashtag hammer fist from bottom. So, you know, uh, we saw what happened in that Randy Brown fight. The guy can generate power in weird places, and I think uh, once he drags Razak into the depths of hell, I think he will knock Razak out as well. So I'm going to take Nico Price. Man, I didn't think the time would come when I'd pick against a guy like Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. I mean, he cashes two max bets in a row. Love this guy. Serious knockout artist. But, man, styles make fights. And I really feel like if Razak can't get Nico Price out of there in that first round, it's going uh, to be a hell of a night. Let's just put it that way, man. Because the thing about Nico Price is early on in his matchups, he's so hittable. So when a guy like Razak starts getting off early... He's probably going to empty his gas tank trying to get Nico Price out of there. And when he when he drops him one time and Nico gets back up, I know Razak's going to see that 50K bonus in his eyes. And he's going to literally empty out the tank trying to finish Nico Price. Now, if he finishes him, much respect. You know, Razak is a scary knockout artist. He's a serious athlete. He's got a judo background that people don't know about. And he's also training at Fortis MMA with Charles Bird and uh, Jeff Neal. So in terms of sparring partners, he's, he's getting the best work in that he's gotten in a while. But I feel like because of Nico's style, Razak is going to be more inclined to let it all go early in that first round, trying to get him out of there. And if he can't get him out of there, Nico is the last guy you want to be gassed out against. Nico is the last guy you want to be huffing and puffing against. Nico is the last guy you want to stall against. And I think that after Razak empties that load, I think Nico's going to get him out of there in the second or third round. So I'm going to go with Nico Price for the upset. Now, next up in the women's strawweight division, we got Jessica Andrade. She's minus 430. The comeback on Karolina Kovalkovic is plus 345. Now, you think uh, my girl Karolina is going to get this upset or you think Jessica Andrade is the rightful minus 430 favorite here? Yeah, man. Both of these girls are, you know, former title challengers. Both are definitely top five. You know, uh, you know, I definitely think there's a, a level, you know, in terms of, you know, I definitely think Rose and Joanna have separated themselves from that top two. And then right after that, you got the Andrages and the and the uh, Carolinas of, of that nature. You know, uh, I guess you could put Tisha right after that. But, you know, um, I just think, uh, you know, Andrage, to be honest, I really think she's basic. I mean, all she throws is hooks, and it's you can see him coming from a mile away. The thing is, these are 115-pound girls. I mean, and Josh is coming down from 35, you know, in her previous uh, her previous uh, run at 135. And, I mean, she was beating girls up at 135, you know, and now she's dropping those 20 pounds. And, I mean, <laughs> with Andrade, it's basically like she can always bail herself out as she's moving forward because the sound of those shots in that division are going to make the crowd ooh and nah and, you know, cringe because – I mean, those are devastating shots. You know, girls don't hit like that. Girls aren't as strong as that. You know, I feel like even her wrestling is pretty much all strength. It's really not much technique. She's just grabbing singles and try picking chicks up over the shoulder. And, you know, as far as Carolina goes, I feel like she has some tools because, you know, the weakness for Andrade is those straight shots and movement like Joanna did. I mean, she completely schooled her. And uh, although Joanna did school Carolina as well, Carolina does have a little bit of that, you know, but it's more of a poor man's uh, version of Joanna. She does have the Euro style movement. She does throw a little bit of straight shots, but the difference is Carolina's got some holes, man. She, uh, firstly, on the feet, she likes to lift her chin up in the air. She continuously gets caught with overhand rights. Uh, we saw in her last fight, she got wobbled in that, in that uh, third round. And I mean, 
I just think uh, the openings are going to be there for Andrade to bail herself out with power. You know, I think Andrade doesn't really have anything to fear um, coming in. Where Carolina has the edges in that clinch, Carolina, man, in that clinch, she likes to, you know, really fuck girls up with knees, and her knees are on point in that clinch. But I do think a size is going to matter here. I think Andrade is going to be able to just blitz her whenever she wants. I think she's going to be able to pick her up whenever she wants. I think Carolina is going to get off to a good start, but I think uh, Andrade will. For a chick uh, that muscular for that division, her cardio is on point. And I just think uh, she's going to land the harder shots throughout the three rounds. Man, I really agree with you on this one. And, you know, I know someone's going to be like, oh, it's minus 450. Of course he agrees. No, but look, the reality here is that, yeah, Jessica Andrade's technique is kind of ugly. And it's not, you know, if she if she was a dude, you know, she'd get capitalized on super easily. But in the chick world, in the chick division... That shit works like a charm because none of the girls are hitting with that kind of power. None of the girls are bringing uh, that kind of intensity and ferocity to, to the cage. So she uh, she's going to win most of these fights just by default because when they get hit by those shots, they, they've never felt power like that in their lives. So that being said, I, I feel like, you know, Jessica's going to get off to a slow start like she tends to do. And, you know, at first, first two minutes, you're going to be like, oh, wow, Carolina looks better than she's ever looked. But when, when Jessica finally commits to that blitz... She starts getting her John Lineker going. I think she's going to bruise the body of Carolina. I think she's going to make her face bleed. I think she's going to mix in the slams. And from there, it could be a three-round beatdown. But also, don't be surprised if uh, Carolina gives up that back. I mean, you saw that stunt she pulled in Brazil against Claudia. So don't, don't be surprised if something similar happens here. We have seen Jessica Andrade, you know, tap out JoJo Calderwood in the first round. I know Carolina's on a different level. I'm just saying, don't be surprised. If Carolina gives up uh, that neck at some point in the fight. But most likely a decision. I just see uh, Jessica Andrade landing the hardest shots uh, throughout the three-round period. Minus the first two minutes of the fight where Carolina will do her best. Look, I'm rooting for Carolina. I mean, she cashed that plus 215 against Rose Namajunas in ATL. We were the only people that bet on her. So obviously I got a soft spot for her. And she's a super cool chick. But when it comes to picking the fights, obviously none of that shit matters. And I think Jessica is going to uh, bulldoze through Carolina. So I wish my girl Carolina the best. Now next up in the UFC featherweight division, we got Zabit Magomed Sharipov. He's minus 1,200. The comeback on Brandon Davis is plus 775. Now, Shaq, let me ask you a question. If we were guaranteed that Zabit Magomed Sharipov was not going to go for a takedown in this fight, do you think the line would still be where it is? Um, Probably not, but, you know, he is going to go for a takedown. <laughs> You know, so, you know, I think Davis is a great striker. I mean, uh, you know, I think he's a very slick striker. He kind of reminds me of uh, Zaleski actually in there when he strikes uh, his movement. You know, he kind of he's kind of slow, but when they get going, you know, they definitely throw thunder. And, uh, you know, but he's got a major weakness. Brandon Davis don't like that tie up game. He don't like that wrestling game. Uh, I mean, he complains about it after every fight. You know, he's one of those guys that say, oh, he tried to lay on my leg and he's fine with that. So, you know, I definitely think it beats the better striker still, of course. But, you know, I, I do think Zabit is, a, a, I'm not going to say he's chinny, but down the line, I definitely see uh, him losing his fight by getting knocked out. I think he's just going to, you know, I think he's going to win on the feet, win everywhere. But I do think he's going to seal these rounds off with takedowns. Davis is a tough kid. You know, I actually think Davis might actually make it the distance. Um, but uh, I got Zabit in this one all day. I, I kind of agree with the line. You know, Davis is coming in here on short notice. I know he's a brave kid. I know he's tough. But, uh, you know, we know what, he, what the deal is. Here's being, you know, he's a sacrificial lamb being brought in on a silver platter, Dan. Uh, 
you know, it is what it is. They needed someone to take the fight. He's the only one that had the balls to take the fight. But after this, man, they got to book my boys to beat up with someone real. It's unfortunate. I mean, he's got Yair shook out of his mind. So it's unfortunate that uh, he can't uh, get that fight. But they just need to move on from that, you know, probably book him, uh, book him up against uh, Chad Mendez or something like that after this, man. Give him a real fight. Oh, you want to see Zabit versus uh, Chadji Mench? Yeah, something like that. Or who's who's in that bottom tier of the top 15? Uh, <laughs> I know you don't want to do my boy Ricardo like that. Oh, I mean, why not? <laughs> or, or we could just go ahead and get Dennis Bermudez out the UFC real quick. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, that guy. Uh, he beat Max Holloway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy uh, keeps losing splits. Let's just put it this way. Uh, that fight would not be a split decision. <laughs> That would be a one-sided ass with him. Yeah, so as far as his matchup concerned, look, I respect Brandon Davis a lot. Like you mentioned, his stand-up is actually pretty slick. He's got a nice slip and rip game. His pairing is on point. It's just that uh, he doesn't care. Yeah, I don't, I'm going to say he doesn't care to train his ground game. I'm sure he does train his ground game. It's just that's not what he naturally gravitates towards. He wants to stand and bang, and that's fine. I love stand-up guys, but it's like, dude, you got to be well-rounded in this game. And you know, my boy Brandon Davis is from Atlanta, Georgia, and most guys from Atlanta can grapple. It's unfortunate that Brandon actually decided to go train with Jason Knight, who I respect Jason Knight too, very tough guy, but you know the deal with Jason Knight. They got zero takedown defense whatsoever. They'll drop someone, then go for an armbar, end up on their back, and lose the fight. So I wish Brandon Davis was back in the ATL working on that grappling because then I, you know, I feel like that would take his game to the next level. But we got to analyze what we're working with, and uh, he's not in ATL. He's over there and wherever Jason Knight's from. Where's Jason Knight from again? Somewhere in those sticks oh, yeah. in Mississippi. Mississippi, Mississippi. So it's like, dude, what are you doing over there in Mississippi? He's probably riding four-wheelers more than he's uh, training his jiu-jitsu and wrestling. But that being said, man, I think Zabit most likely actually comes out here and tries to play it safe because no one knows who Brandon Davis is and this and that. I mean, I think he's going to land a couple spinning techniques standing, but I think the ultimate goal will be to take him down to the ground from there, pass, try to choke him out. I'm going to go with Zabit Magomed Sharipov via submission in this fight. Co-main event of the evening, we got the widest line in UFC title fight history because we got Valentina Bullet Shevchenko. In some books, she's minus 1,300. In other books, she's minus 1,800. The comeback on Nico Montano is plus 900, Shaq. So what I got to know, my man, I I mean, I was telling Kyle Marley this, you know, the fans are going to get to that segment here in a little bit. Uh, People are already making funeral arrangements for Nico Montano. (laughs) I mean, do you think... uh, do you give her a better chance than the odds indicate, or do you think this is going to be a, a lamb to the slaughter? Um, You know, it's I definitely got Valentina. I mean, you know, I think Nico's actually pretty good, to be honest. I actually think she is top five. I mean, uh, she's definitely got a skill set. She's a tough girl. Um, she's got that nice left kick to the body uh, from that southpaw stance. You know, I like that countdown show. You know, she's got that nice team behind her. Shout out to my boy Tom Vaughn. You know, my boy Tom Vaughn's actually in a lawsuit with uh, Lee and Ray Borg right now. But, uh, <laughs> Who do you think is going to win that one? I need your prediction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's uh, going to be interesting. But, you know, Nico's a great fighter. But, you know, like we said, you know, when they were making that show, to give that winner of that show a belt, I mean, the way I looked at it, it was kind of a joke. I mean, uh, and, and I mean that, and I don't mean it in a bad way or anything. It's just, you know, she's not ready for this yet. You know, <laughs> Valentina, I mean, we saw what she happened when she fought an inexperienced girl her last fight in Priscilla. And I actually think Priscilla's going to go on to win UFC fights. And you saw what she did to her. I mean, it was complete domination. I mean, 
First of all, let's talk about my boy Mario Yamasaki. That guy uh, shouldn't be uh, refing any more fights. And I mean, you know, I know they're in the jungle, but come on, bro. Like, <laughs> he makes Goddard look like a fucking saint ref. <laughs> don't let don't let her kill the girl. But like, you know, I, I it's really interesting because Valentina, you know, a part of me feels like in these big moments she uh, likes to play it super safe. But you know, she in her heart it might not be a big moment. You know, this ain't uh, this ain't Amanda Nunes or Holly Holm or anything like that. You know, but she does have the tendency sometimes to you know throw the same strikes over and over. But they're legit the same strikes over and over. They're precise and they get the job done. You know, the check right hook, the spinning back fist, the teep. But I definitely think she's got the advantages in all areas. Whether it's a brutal finish, um, I actually do think she'll probably finish her probably late. But I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Nico hung in there. You know, these are girls, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, things don't play out uh, as wide as people think. But I do definitely think Valentina most likely uh, will get her hand raised. I mean, she will get her hand raised. And uh, Nico will be bounced back better. I actually think she will put up a fight in the early rounds. But uh, to say finish or not, I'd stay on the safe side and just stay out of that. But uh, I got Valentina probably by fifth-round submission. But I wouldn't be shocked if Nico made it the distance. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where, you know, Nico Montano, in a way, she's kind of underrated because, you know, people think that she's this complete joke. People are acting like Nico Montano is like Jessica I or something, like like she's that big of a joke. And I disagree, man. I mean, you saw some of those performances on The Ultimate Fighter and even her UFC debut. Look, I know it was against Lauren Murphy and all, all this shit, but hey, she beat the shit out of her. So props to Nico Montano for going out there and doing that. And, you know, people hold it against her that she won the belt. It's not her fault. I mean, they said there was a, a competition. Winner gets to fight for the belt. All Nico did was go out there, win her three fights, and then win her uh, final fight in her UFC debut, and she got that belt. So it's not her fault that she's the champ, man. And I feel like people should stop using that against her. But that being said, my girl Valentina Shevchenko, firstly, she's an, she's an incredible woman. I mean, she speaks a million languages. She's a fucking pro dancer. She can shoot guns. She can do the whole bit. She can beat your ass, too. But uh, I feel like that drop to 25 was one of the best decisions she, one of the best decisions she's ever made. Because prior to that, she made one of the worst decisions she's ever made, which was the fight with uh, Amanda was two to two going to the fourth. You know, you're winning the entire fifth round, one minute left. Uh, you decide to go for a head and arm throw, then you end up on your back and you lose uh, the title bout. So she went from making the worst decision she's ever made to making the best decision she's ever made, which was to drop to 25. So now what I gotta know, man, is. I mean, does Valentina, does she do what my boy Ken Flo does? Does she choke in those title fights or was, was she just fighting someone better in Amanda Nunes? But I, I just feel like uh, 25 was the right decision because you saw her last fight against Priscilla. And dude, we were talking about how Valentina just has her little bag of tricks, you know, the right hook, the spin, the outside leg kick, you know, that's that's what she, that, that, those are her go-tos. But against Priscilla, she was throwing straight punches her hand speed was on a different level. The takedown, she had inside trips. Obviously, she finished the five via submission, so I saw more facets to her game. Now against Nico Montano, I feel like Nico's best weapon is that left kick to the body. And she might land a couple hard ones against Valentina, but Valentina will have an answer for that. Valentina will be able to counter off those body kicks of Nico Montano. And I think those shots that she's going to land are going to pop the head back of Montano and are actually going to make her more hesitant to come in and keep throwing that body kick. And from there, it's going to be uh, 
she's going to get picked apart for the remainder of the fight. So I'm going to go with Valentina via a very wide decision. But it won't surprise me for a finish either, but I won't bank on it. I'll say a very wide decision. Main event of the evening. We got the champ, Tyron the Chosen One Woodley. He's actually a plus 100 dog, Shaq. And Darren the Gorilla Till is a minus 120 favorite. So, man, I got to know who you got here, man. You got the 36-year-old Tyron Woodley or do you got the 25-year-old Darren Till? Yeah, you know, Tyron... You know, uh, Tyrone, I mean, guy's a great champion, you know, like I said earlier, defended his belt three times, beating legends like Robbie, Carlos, Koscheck, uh, Wonder, Boy. Wonder Boy, Thompson, tw- or once, um, Damian Maya. So, you know, the guy's definitely uh, beating a who's who, but, you know, I think uh, Darren Till, you know, also, you know, he's also being Wonder Boy. You know, he definitely doesn't have the, the names necessarily as uh, T would, but, you know, they, they come up in completely different eras, man. Um you know, T Wood's been out for a while doing TMZ and you know promoting himself. I definitely think he uh, he's making the right attempts to promote himself. But as far as they match up, you know, we know what T Wood has. He has that nuclear right hand. He's got those hard uh, kicks, and he's got a, he's a D one wrestler. He's got amazing takedown defense. The thing with T Wood is, man, it's really interesting to see him. You know, win a lot of these fights because I mean, uh, I mean, he likes to back up into that fence a lot. I think his cardio's in major question, you know, after he offensively wrestles, he generally has to take the round off just to get his cardio back. Um, I mean, his last fight, I thought he, uh, <laughs> his last fight, you know, whether, I mean, it was one of the most boring fights in UFC history, but I mean, he won every round, but it's, uh, you know, I definitely see the openings for the Southpaws. Namian definitely landed some left hands in there. And, uh, I mean, his cardio's in question, man. And I mean, he's just been doing, he's just been doing enough to get by these fights. Um, you know, as where Till, on the other hand, he brings a different uh, dynamic to the cage, man. I feel like Till's an expert at range. I think Till, uh, where Tyron likes to be safe in his fight, his comfort zone is on that fence. Till's the best striker on the fence in the in the UFC. I mean, we've seen it time in and time out. Watch the Boyan Velichkovich fight, the uh, Donald Cerrone fight, and, you know, the Wonder Boy fight is last fight. You know, I know a lot of people say he got gifted a, uh, gifted a decision, but, you know, if you rewatch it, he kind of beat Wonder Boy at his own game. He tipped, runner, uh, tipped Wonder Boy, you know. Wonder Boy's the elite tipping runner, and he beat Wonder Boy at his own game. So, you know, I think uh, I actually see this fight kind of playing out quickly man i feel like tyron's gonna be real panicky you know i feel like after big actions tyron doesn't have the cardio to go five rounds i feel like these guys let him off the hook i feel like you know the robbie fight was a great fight you know and he knocked robbie out in the first round i was there live he put the whole crowd silent it was it was insane but you know no offense to robbie but robbie's damage meter was coming up man you know uh i feel like t would beat a bunch of guys on the on the way out you know Robbie was coming off of wars with Condit, two wars with Rory, the Hendricks wars, you know. That guy's face was drooping off in several fights. And, you know, Tyron was coming off a big layoff. He was, you know, able to be a perfect uh, perfect timing, and he knocked Robbie out. And then, you know, he fought uh, Wonderboy Thompson. You know, Wonderboy just didn't do enough. Wonderboy has a habit of doing that. Wonderboy, you know, he uh, doesn't have the power, the ferocity, the that physical gorilla presence like a Till, you know. So I think Till's going to, 
you know, uh, probably eat a shot in there somewhere. But like I said, if you're, if you know, people are saying T Wood's going to wrestle, you know, five rounds consistently. I don't think the guy's got the cardio to do that, man. Uh, and I've seen it time in and time out. I think he might get one takedown, but after that takedown, I don't think he's going to get another one. I think he's going to be huffing and puffing and backing up. And I think the guy's getting chinnier and chinnier. I feel like Till knows how to play that slip, uh, slip and rip game. You know, a game similar to Israel or a. Uh, an O'Malley, for example, or uh, McGregor, for example, you know, and those guys uh, are taking over the sport. So I think Till's going to put pressure on Woodley. I feel like uh, Woodley will try to wrestle, but I don't think it's going to be successful. I think uh, after that attempt, he's going to back into the fence, and his backing up into the fence is going to be a big no-no in this fight. Um, I think he's going to get knocked out against that fence. I think uh, Till's going to throw that jab, one-two, the best one-two in the game, in my opinion, and I think he's going to floor Woodley. I think Woodley's a great champion, but I just think it's perfect timing for Till. He's young and confident. You know, T. Wood was expecting to... uh, to uh, fight Kobe Covington here, you know, now he got a big, completely different switch, you know, he's saying shit like my toughest opponents are behind me, and we're gonna see, so, I got Darren Till by first round knockout, to be honest, so, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. You know, Tyron Woodley's one of these guys where, if he was a video game character, you'd set him at 100% on all the stats, I mean, he's got the insane athleticism, insane power, crazy speed, He's built like a fucking brick shit house, but unfortunately, the guy that's using the controller isn't rated at a hundred. Shack, the guy using the controller, I don't want to say he's got no idea what he's doing because we're talking about a fucking world champion with three title defenses. But I just cannot believe that there's a world champion in the UFC that literally takes rounds off the way that that Woodley does. And when we talk about taking rounds off, you know, we're not talking about someone who secures. Uh, you know, who's got the fight secured, and then they coast for the last round, no big deal. I'm talking about, like, he'll go in there, have this dominant round, and then he'll just stare at you for the next five minutes. And, you know, I, I've made excuses for him in the past because I cashed in on a lot of his title defenses, uh, the Wonder Boy fight, the Maya fight. You know, I had money on him. But this fight is different, man. Darren Till's not 40 years old like Damian Maya. Darren Till's not about to turn 37 like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Darren Till's a 25-year-old in his prime, and... More importantly than that, Shaq, the biggest dynamic here is that every single fight, Tyron Woodley backs himself up into the fence. And when you're fighting Josh Koscheck, perfect. Hey, back yourself into the fence. When you're fighting Damian Maya and you got the incredible takedown defense that Woodley has, perfect. When you're fighting Wonderboy, who, uh, can, can I say who he's scared of, Shaq? When, when you're fighting Wonderboy, who, you know, he, he's terrified of Woodley, okay, that's fine, but Darren Till... He loves pressuring people up against that fence. That's where Tyron Woodley loves to hang. And from there, he's a master of controlling the range. Outside of the cage, he's a master of the head games. And I feel like when he said that comment about how he saw doubt in Tyron Woodley's eyes, like whether that's true or not, I feel like those kind of things fuck with a guy like Woodley because no one's ever had the balls to say something like that to Tyron Woodley. I mean, Damian Maia, he wants to bow. He wants to shake hands. A wonder boy wants to hug every five minutes. You know what I'm saying? Darren Till's not having any of that. Darren Till gives no fucks who Tyron Woodley is. He doesn't, I mean, he respects him. You have to respect Tyron. He's a super intelligent guy. Look at the position he's in. But the holes that he's had in his game aren't anything new, man. This, this shit's been going on for a long time. His cardio is so suspect. I don't get it. That Jake Shields fight, like, dude, the fight is so winnable. It's so within reach, and you're just staring at the guy. And Jake Shields, obviously, you guys know he's got no power whatsoever and all that, but 
if you're doing shit like that against Jake Shields, what's going to happen when you're fighting a fucking guy who hits like a truck, who's probably the biggest guy in the division, who's young, who's confident, who's hungry, he knows he's going to win this fight. I just feel like it's a bad matchup for Woodley. Now, the question I have here is what happens if Woodley gets on top. Now, I do think if Woodley gets on top that for that specific round, he can probably kill the clock and end up winning that round. But the issue with Woodley and the reason that, you know, I'm not, if I was going to, you know, take a side in this fight, and let's say I'm picking Darren Till, if I have to have some kind of worry about the wrestling, the reason that I wouldn't be as worried is because Tyron Woodley can't do that consistently for five for five rounds, man. He can only do that one round, then he's got to take the next two off. I don't know what it is about his cardio. Maybe it's just his physique. Maybe Joe Rogan was actually right this entire time about Tyron Woodley's physique because I used to give Joe Rogan a lot of shit about how he'd all oh, the muscles and the gassing and all the shit. But when we were watching that tape, dude, it's fucking true. Tyron Woodley cannot go five rounds hard. He has to take rounds off. He has to pace himself. And in these fights against these 37-year-olds and these 40-year-olds, I think it's perfect. But against a 25-year-old, I don't think it's going to work anymore. I'm going to go with Darren Till for the knockout and new welterweight champion of the world. And I think Darren Till versus Colby is going to be an unbelievable fight. Well, Shaq, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, what's going on, man? Dude, not much. Big weekend ahead of us. Football's finally back. We got fights as well. This is what I live for. I mean, it's not just a big weekend. It's a huge weekend, Kyle Marley, because not only is UFC 228 going down, and, you know, obviously this is the Big Marley Minute. We're going to get down to our lineups. We're going to get down to who we're picking to win these fights. But more importantly, Kyle... We just announced yesterday that Kyle Marley will be selling his NFL selections exclusively on bestfightpicks.com. So, you know, I mean, I'm I'm fucking excited, man. Not just because I got one of the best in the world on my own website, but because I get to tail one of the best in the world. And for me, you know, MMA is what I do every single day, man. You know, MMA, uh, picking these fights, and th- this is my life. But with football, it's kind of like a hobby. I love football. I love sitting back on a Thursday night, on a Sunday, on a Monday, just sitting back on my recliner and watching some good old, uh, some good old-fashioned football. But now I got someone to tell because the man himself, Kyle Marley, is selling his picks on bestfightpicks.com. And uh, Kyle, uh, it's going down this 2018 season, my man. Yeah, man, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to making you some money as well as everybody else who is tailing. Uh, we already got our first bet live for uh, tomorrow's game. I cannot wait for it. Uh, I'm going to have another probably three to five coming out this weekend. But that's what I like to do. I like to have about three to five bets every week. Uh, and, and I'm looking to have a, a big year. So hope you guys all tail, win some money along with me, and let's get it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, we we mentioned on Twitter that for anyone that signs up for that season pass before uh, the first game on Thursday, not only are they going to get the entire NFL season plus the playoffs, which obviously, as you know, it includes the Super Bowl, but they're going to get a free copy of all your DraftKings write-ups every single week. Isn't that right? That's right. You get my DraftKings write-up, which is like 15,000 words every week on each fight. For free, all the way through 2018, if you get the season long. So, not only are you getting a deal with the season long, but we're going to throw that in there as well. Help you out in both sports. Uh, so, there's no better time to sign up. Just get in before this first game. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go to bestfightpicks.com and uh, check out Kyle Marley's NFL package. And let's start winning in two multiple sports, my man. Because, uh, 
you know, we, we know football uh, is the is the second best sport on planet Earth, isn't that right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, man, without further ado, we got to talk about this main event between Darren Till and Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley, because look, man, all the guys that Tyron Woodley has been fighting lately, I got a lot of respect for them. They all earned their way to that title shot, but a common theme remains. They've all been, you know, above 33 years old. They're all... Uh, you know, I don't want to say a guy like Wonderboy Thompson, who's ranked number two in the world, is on his way out. But as you know, uh, his next birthday, he's going to turn 36 years old. Darren Till's next birthday, he's going to turn 26 years old. So I got to ask you, do you think the maturity of Tyron Woodley is going to be a big factor here? Or do you think youth will prevail? Uh, I mean, it could be a big factor because this could be a real slow-paced fight. And if that's the case, then I think Woodley would be the one that's going to be favored because he can mix in wrestling. And if he can get two to three rounds in the books with wrestling and just lay on till for a while, then he's going to win a decision in a slow-paced fight with his maturity and whatnot. But I think Till is going to want to come in firing. He's not going to want to have a a slow performance like his last fight. Uh, So I think he's going to make it be more aggressive than a usual Woodley fight. So... I think Woodley's going to have to rely on that knockout right hand he's got or his wrestling to get this W. Uh, but I'm going to side with Till here. I think the young, hungry kid is going to get it done, and I think he's probably going to get it done by a knockout. Uh, at least I'm hoping it's a knockout because I, do, I really don't want to see these guys go for five rounds. Uh, this is not the, the fight that I want to be 100% on, like most main events, just because both of these guys could put up duds and a win. I think Till scored... In a five-round fight, Till scored 59 points against Thompson. Like, that's terrible in five rounds. I don't want that on my team, even in the mid-range at his price. And then same with Woodley. He's put up 69, 75, uh, 49, and wins in his last – oh, I guess one of them was a draw. But those are just not what I want in a five-round fight. So we're really relying – on a finish if one of these guys is going to be uh, in the winning lineup so this is one of those where you can actually fade the main event if you want to uh you can go in 50 50 do three lineups with till three lineups with woodley if you wanted but i think i'm just gonna have a couple till lineups myself and i'm not gonna go too heavy on this fight the thing that's most embarrassing about those numbers that you just mentioned is that all those fights had knockdowns in them kyle <laughs> yeah and that's they're just uh, they're not fun to watch either. So not only is it not fun to watch, but you get a shitty score on your DraftKings lineup and it takes your money away as well. That's uh, I'm not looking forward to it. I want to knock out either way. I think Till's going to get it. Yeah, I mean, listen, if your doctor's not prescribing you sleeping pills anymore, you can't get that Ambien, you're having a lot of trouble sleeping, what you need to do is you go to UFCFightPass.com, you type in Tyron Woodley versus Damian Maya, you pop that right in, and uh, that'll cure your insomnia. Just thank Dr. <laughs> Levy uh, later on, you know what I'm saying? But dude, listen, this co-main event between Valentina Shevchenko and Nico Montano, it's one of the widest lines in UFC title fight history. I've never seen a UFC champion be uh what is she a plus 900 dog right now i see her she's a 6600 on DraftKings. so you know people are already making funeral arrangements for nico montano it's a foregone conclusion that she's not only going to lose this fight kyle she's going to lose in devastating fashion so my question here is because as you know most chick fights especially in this weight class they do go the full five round distance you think uh nico can surprise some people and uh, drag this one out and maybe last the full five i think it's going to be tough uh I mean, one thing she does have going for her is in her last fight, she scored 158 points 
against Montefiore. So she has, she has the ceiling, but this is a way different matchup, and it's hard to not pick Jeff, uh, Shevchenko here. Uh, the only problem is you have to pay 9600 for Shevchenko. You're going to need her to score to outscore everybody on the card. Uh, I think she's probably my most confident pick to get a win, but to outscore everybody else on the card, I'm not so sure about. Uh, I think th- I would rather stack this fight than the other title fight in cash games. But Shevchenko has to be the pick here. Um, I want her in some lineups for sure, just in case she can get an early finish or something dominant like her last fight. But I just I don't really see what you're going to do with Montana. I mean, if she gets a win, not many people are going to be on her. A lot of people are going to be dead with their Shevchenko lineups. So for that reason, if you want to take some shots at Montana, I think it's all right. But this is a tough matchup. It uh, should be a gimme win for Shevchenko. You know, another interesting one is a beat Magomed Sharipov versus Brandon Davis. You know, Brandon Davis, he's actually a pretty slick striker. It's just when it comes to the wrestling defense, uh, it's not on the same level of his striking, obviously. And the reason I bring up this matchup, look, you got the 9,400 price tag next to Zabit. You got the 9,600 price tag next to Valentina Shevchenko. Most likely can only afford one of those big favorites. So my question is, which one is going to score more points out of the two? Uh, I would rather go ahead and just save the 200 and take Zabit. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think they're pretty close. I'm going to be pretty even, I'm guessing myself. Uh, but I think Zabit has a better chance of getting knocked out. I don't see Shevchenko getting knocked out or finished early. I mean, I don't really see it with Zabit either, to be honest, but there is that chance. Um, so I think Shevchenko would be the safer pick, but I'd rather go ahead and just save that 200 bucks if you're making one lineup and I would just go ahead and throw Zabit in there instead. That way you can maybe move up 200 somebody you like elsewhere. So Jessica Andrade is taking on Karolina Kovacevic. And Jessica Andrade is a huge favorite here. And a lot of people often forget that Karolina Kovacevic is actually the last person to defeat the current champion, Rose Namajunas. And uh, it was in Atlanta, Georgia. She was a plus 215 underdog, which we cashed on. So now I got to ask you, man, you think Karolina can pull off another huge upset uh, in her career here? Uh, I'm not... <laughs> I've everything I've listened to people are just writing KK off it like this is going to be a slaughter match really and I'm not on their level with the thoughts on Andrade I do think Andrade should be favored decently heavy too but they're acting like this fight's already over and I don't see it that way I think she's going to get caught a lot coming in with all those straight punches from KK a lot of combos to the face and she's not going to like that but she's definitely more likely to get a finish and if she gets the fight to the ground then it's probably her world i don't think kk is going to be able to do a lot i just think this is going to be a real fun stand-up striking match um i, I will favor andrage and she's been killing it in DraftKings lately as well she has in her last fight she had 155 in three rounds the one before that she had 136 so she's on fire in DraftKings, and i think she will be popular uh and i'm gonna have some as well but i'm not gonna be fading kk at 7100 she scored over 100 in her last two fights as well. So if she can pick up a win, I think this is going to be a real fun fight. And this is actually not a bad fight to stack in cash games either. I think it's going to be a lot of high-paced striking, and it's going to score highly as a whole. So might be a weird fight feel-wise to stack, but if you're looking for one, especially other than that Till Woodley fight, this could be a good sneaky one. You know, I'm actually glad you brought that up, Kyle, because now I got to know if I've actually learned something, you know, for the year plus that you've been on Half the Battle with the Big Marley Minute. Because speaking of stacking fights, 
I was thinking about stacking Razak Alhassan and Nico Price. And my reason why, Kyle, is because we know Razak Alhassan, all his wins are first-round knockouts. When Nico Price, he's the kind of guy that can weather a storm and come back and finish you. I could totally seeing this. I could totally see this being the kind of fight where Razak comes out here, drops Nico Price once or twice in the first round, kind of gasses a little bit, and then gets finished himself in the second round. Or if Razak actually does come out here and finish him in the first, you're still going to get a hundred points. So, in your opinion, am I am I learning something? You think I should be stacking these two? Uh, I mean, it's not a bad stack. I'll definitely say that because I always look for at least 100, and I think you should have at least 100 there. But I would just rather stack KK and Andrade over that just because I think it's going to be higher scoring as a whole. Uh, because in that fight, we could see 105 points with 100 of them coming from the winner and then the loser only scoring five. But in this fight, KK could score 40 and Andrade could put up 130. Uh, so that's going to be – that's basically like two winners right there. Uh, so – it's not a bad stack. It's just that I think there's better fights to stack. Uh, and that's the only reason I wouldn't do it. So my boy Kyle Marley thinks the chick fight is going to have more points than Razak versus Nico Price. In interesting. Yep, yep. So this other matchup, Tatiana Suarez versus Carla Esparza. You got the former champ and Carla taking on what many people consider to be the future champ and Tatiana. There's definitely a size difference here, but there's also an experience difference. You think that uh, Carla's a live dog here? Or are you leaning with the massive favorite? I'm gonna lead uh, lean towards the future champ Suarez. I've been high on her since she got in there. Uh, it's just not too many women have that dominant of wrestling, and Esparza's best game is wrestling. And I don't see her hanging here, so I think this is a dominant win for Suarez. I am interested to see if she is gonna go uh, test her wrestling for wrestling, or if she's gonna try and have a stand up fight, and maybe impress us there. I am hoping she goes for the takedowns because I do like her scoring over 100 points every fight. Uh, but, yeah, she's one of my favorite picks every time she's on the card. Uh, no different here. So, man, Aljamain Sterling is taking on Cody Stamen. Uh, I mean, they got it basically a pick -em, man. It's uh, going to be a really good fight on paper. The question is, you think someone's got a definitive edge here? No, I don't. I think this is uh, one of the fights I'm looking forward to the most. I think it's real close. and I can't wait to see how it plays out. I'm hoping we see some ground transactions because that could be real fun. Uh, but I just don't think Sterling uh, has a really good shot of paying off his $8,500 on a win. I don't really see him having a dominant win in this fight. And if he can't get it to the ground, I don't even see him winning the fight because I think Stamen's got the better stand-up. Um, so I would rather have, uh, go ahead and save the money. I'd take Stamen at 7700 because if he does win, I think he has a way better shot of paying that off. Um, and it's pretty even fight so he very well could win uh save some money there that way we could pay up for those other guys jimmy rivera is making his comeback he's taking on john dotson these two don't like each other these two are highly ranked in their division man both super fast for the weight class both explosive guys who do you think takes that next step towards the title shot uh i'm gonna pick rivera here but i mean it's nerve a little bit nervous about that with him coming off the knockout not too long ago either, and Dodson's got some heavy hands for a little guy as well. Uh, but I'm more just interested in, in Rivera because I am not interested in Dodson. Uh, in his last two wins, he scored 68 and then 54. And then he had a loss against Marias with 42, a loss against Lineker with 54. So neither of those would have scored high if he did get the judge's nod. 
So I just don't like his new style that he's going out there with. He's more point fighting, and that's not what I want in DraftKings. So I'd rather go ahead and just get Rivera. I think he's got heavy hands. Maybe he could get a knockout himself. He could go for the takedowns, but this could be a fight to fade as well. I just think it's going to be a decision. I'll pick Rivera to win, uh, but I'm probably going to fade Dodson. So Diego Sanchez is taking on this kid, Craig White, and I mean, <laughs> my question here is, does Diego have enough left in the tank to get this win? Because this is definitely the worst opponent he's fought in his entire career. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't, I don't know. Does he have enough to get the win? That's the question. This is just a fight that it's hard to pick either side. I, I guess you could just save the money and go ahead and get Sanchez because there are a lot of those big favorites we want on this card. So that definitely makes Sanchez my preferred play of the two. But, man, it's it's almost like you almost need this fight in there because Sanchez is so cheap. If he gets the win, he's probably going to pay it off. But his chin has been looking so bad that if Craig gets the win, it's probably going to be by knockout. So he could pay off his value as well. So I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm not loving this fight. I'm going to have a little bit of both guys, but I won't be too heavy on either. Uh, and I'm really just not looking forward to this fight very much at all. And last but not least, Jeff Neal's taking on Frank Camacho. I have a feeling these two are going to stand and bang till one man falls or a three-round war. So I definitely want to have the winner on my lineup. Which way are you going? Yeah, man, this is going to be awesome. I mean, Camacho, I'm pretty sure his last two fights, he won a GPP with a stack. So him and Brown, someone had both of them in their lineups. They ended up winning whatever it was, $15,000 with a stack in their lineup, which is crazy. And then Camacho comes back, fights Dober, same thing happens. Somebody wins a GPP with a stack. That's that's crazy. I've never seen that, especially back-to-back. I think maybe JJ's done it before twice. But, man, that's pretty crazy, especially for someone who's only fighting in three rounds. So this is definitely one of those fights you want to target in DraftKings. Either way, really, because the winner should score highly. And, hell, I'm going to have to stack it just in case a stack wins a GBP. Yes, sir. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. And you're not just the DraftKings guy for half the battle because now you are the NFL guy for best fight picks, for max bet season. And it's not just going down this Saturday. It's going down Thursday. It's going down Sunday. It's going down Monday. Man, we got uh, four days of, uh, of games ahead, three days of NFL games, one day of UFC. And uh, let's get this fucking money, man. Let's do it. Let's bank all year long. Uh, yeah, my... my. NFL picks are posted at Best Fight Picks. Go there, check them out. Uh, follow me on Twitter for my DraftKings write-up. Unless you want to get that season long before Thursday, then the chairs for free for the rest of the year. So let's get it. Yes, sir. BestFightPicks.com, MaxBetSeason.com. Get Kyle's NFL plays today. And Kyle, will speak soon, my man. All right, good luck. Take care. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. And Shaq, he's not just the DraftKings guy anymore. Now he's the official football handicapper for best fight picks for max bet season. So uh, first game of the season going out Thursday, next game on Sunday, after that on Monday. Sign up to Kyle Marley's NFL package today at bestfightpicks.com. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 228? Yeah, my fight to watch is going to be that Nico Price versus Razak al fight. I mean, both those guys bring it. Like we said, anytime those two guys fight, something crazy ends up happening for the most part. So, you know, that's my fight to watch. We got a big African scary guy that's looking to take your head off. And we got Nico the Scarecrow Price. The guy uh, is a master of war. He likes to drag guys into hell and, you know, knock them out. So that's my fight to watch. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, anytime you got Razak and Nico Price, that's going to be one of the fights to watch. But for me, I got one that's kind of flying a little bit under the radar. I'm going to go with Jimmy Rivera versus John Dotson. You know, people not, might not realize this. It is a grudge match, and both these guys have a lot on the line for this fight. This is a crossroads fight in the Bantamweight division because the winner of this fight is going to put themselves right back in title contention, and the loser is going to literally fall to the end of the line. And it's going to be a long climb to get back in this position. So... I'm very intrigued by this matchup, and I still think the winner could have a bright future at 135 pounds. So for that reason, Jimmy Rivera versus John Dodson is my fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 228? My fighter to watch is going to be uh, Alex the Spartan White. You know, he's also flying under the radar. I mean, he's got the opportunity to go beat a guy that, you know, was top five probably when he started training. So, you know, uh, it's funny how, you know, MMA uh, pass can cross like this. You know, he probably would have never thought he would even fight a guy like Jim Miller. So, you know, Alex White's going to be my fighter to watch. I think he's going to get the biggest one of his career. And for me, the fighter to watch is uh, Cody the Spartan Stamen. You know, it's funny. Shaq's been telling me about this kid since he was on the regional scene. He said he's someone you got to look out for. And not that I wasn't impressed with his first couple of UFC fights because I actually was very impressed. But I feel like he turned a corner in that Brian Caraway fight, and I feel like he showed some things. You know, I had questions about how's he going to deal with a grappler like Caraway? How's he going to deal with a guy that gets down and dirty? And when I saw that that initial takedown defense, I was like, oh, so so he's for real. He's not just a top 15 guy. He's a potential top 10, maybe top 5 guy. So going in here against a guy like Sterling, you know, we like to we like to have fun on the show. We like to joke around. We like to call him the fraud master. But at the end of the day, Aljamain Sterling is a top 10 guy. He's a guy that I respect a lot. And more importantly than that, Shaq, not too many guys look good fighting against a guy like Aljamain Sterling. Even my boy Rafael Asuncao had to go to a split decision. The only guy that's looked good against Aljamain Sterling is Marlon Moraes. So if Cody Stamen can come out here and make a statement, that's going to show that this is the new guy to look out for in the UFC Bantamweight division. So it's a massive fight. And for all those reasons, Cody Stamen is my fighter to watch at UFC 228. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, UFC 228, Darren Till versus Tyron Woodley unbelievable card and uh i'm proud to say that as of right now it might it might get to four but as of right now we got three plays for this card my man yeah man three plays probably gonna be four and i mean uh i can't wait for this card man like these type of cards are where we generally sign so uh ufc 228 is gonna be a big day and uh we're gonna get the job done yeah i'm super excited man i'm feeling motivated i'm feeling pumped uh just a great card in general so go to bestfightpicks.com get those three plays right now and we're probably adding a fourth one here in the, in the next day or so and also now you guys know you've been hearing about it all show the nfl package is available at bestfightpicks.com get that kyle marley season pass so you get all his dk write-ups for free obviously the nfl bets no doubt about it. that's what you're paying for but in addition you know, we always want to sweeten the pot, so you'll get all his DK write-ups, his DraftKings write-ups for free. Personal consulting with the fucking King Kyle Marley. You know, I kind of want to take that option away, Shaq, so these guys don't strategize against guys like me in the DK world. But we got to give them the best options possible, and that's where Kyle Marley comes to the table. And, uh, man, I'm pumped to get some fucking money this weekend, my man. For sure, man. It's going down 100% on, on September 8th, UFC 228. Yes, sir. So make sure you follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Go to maxbetseason.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Follow our Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. Hook up those five-star reviews for Half the Battle on iTunes. 
And until the next time, let's cash these bets.